namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara ye Sodawanta Bamunjantu Satang. So, reflecting on this here and now Dhamma, Pachubana Dhamma, just observe your state of mind, your mood the sense of just being the knower, the observer, not the critic or the judge, is like this. So you're looking, you're observing, noticing, paying attention. This is mindfulness and reflection, it's like this. Reflection isn't about saying it's good, bad, high, low, whatever. That's the critical mind. The sati-sampachanya, the the mindfulness, is the awakened consciousness here and now. Knowing. So that's why this consciousness is about knowing. When we talk about consciousness, vijnana or jitta, in Pali, this is a conscious realm that we're experiencing. You know, the consciousness. What is it? You know, how can you find it? Can you separate yourself from it and uh, pure consciousness and observe it? Or you can observe what conditioned phenomena that comes and goes. And when the conditioned phenomena goes, what's left is consciousness. Is still consciousness. So this is uh, this is a way of reminding yourself uh, and to trust this uh, simplicity, directness of awakened attention. Pachubana Dhamma. Pachubana is uh, Pali for the present. Dhamma the reality of now. It's like this. No matter what you're feeling, you're healthy or sickly, happy or sad, whatever, it's not the point. It's to be this puto, knowing dhammo, knowing the dhamma. So I I repeat this over and over because we do uh, get lost in the conditions that we're experiencing. Uh, and not many people are very good at getting any kind of reflective uh, relationship to their feelings. What our feelings are, we tend to commit ourselves to our feelings, either through indulging or suppressing. Because uh, just the nature of this realm that we're enduring at this time is this, is this sense realm. And uh, so many uh, people, especially in the Western world, want to to uh, kind of make this sense realm as some something sacred or marvelous. It should be a happy, 
beautiful realm where everything is uh, what we would like it to be, painless and beautiful and just and loving and kind. But uh, when you really awaken to the sense realm, it's not a judgment or a negation of those possibilities, but it is recognizing that sense, sensitivity is like this, having a human body is not having an ideal ethereal form, but this body as, as you're experiencing at this moment is like this. Or, uh, you know, the, the karma we have individually, or the kind of memories of our past, our inclinations, our uh, what we tend to incline to, whether we like it or not. We have certain habitual tendencies or or whatever, whether it's caused through genetics or parentage or conditioning, cultural conditioning, whatever. Uh, we're looking at it now in terms of, not in terms of uh, it being right or wrong, good or bad, but it is like this, which is seeing it, being aware, awakened to the here and now which is, uh, again, not saying anything about the here now other than you're recognizing. So this takes a constant reminder, and that's from my own experience, that it's the continuous uh, determination to remind myself of this. Because uh, the world impinges and my own karmic uh, uh, tendencies, the vipaka karma of my life, happen. Stuff happens. As <laughs> this is Rumsfeld, I think. <laughs> That's not a very elegant way of speaking. <laughs> Or the necessity of fate. In the present moment, this is fate. We're fated what? to death, isn't it? We're dying. We're moving toward old age, uh, decay, and death <clears throat> on a physical level. And then, uh, and I'm getting even more, you know, heavenly messengers as I get older. I'll be 75 on Monday. And 75 complete. In Thailand, they, they don't, Thais don't try to disguise their age. Uh, you know, so they say, well, I'm 75 complete, but starting 76. Where Western, we tend to say, I mean, I'm 74, absolutely, com completely until Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm determined to stay as young as I can for as long as I dare. And 74. Then Mondays, suddenly I become 75. But don't mention 76, because that's a year away. Well, that's culture, too. Cultural conditioning, uh, uh, vanity, identity, the strong identities we have with the age of the bodies. Because that's a very strong uh, identity. Like having a birthday, isn't it? You celebrate Ajahn Sumedho's birthday or somebody's birthday. 
Uh, and ever since I can remember, birthday parties were what I expected every year. Somebody to celebrate my birthday and give me presents and things like that. <laughs> so it gives this strong message, isn't it, that my age is mine, you know. The age of my body is really me. I'm, uh, you know, and who, who likes, if you're vanity, if you're vain and you don't want to get old, then you, you don't want to consider yourself 75. Because that seems old. Even to me. Most of you are younger. Probably all of you are younger. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, let's face it, to me, you know, just the perception of the number 75 as an age is old. And you hear it being said all the time, you know, he's an old person, 75, 76. So old is, is another uh, adjective we have that we, we identify with. You know, people don't like me to talk about getting old. When I say I'm old and they... They like to say, no, you're really very young. Or you're much younger than 75, according, you know, you, or they'll say something like, you look younger than 75. <laughs> and I say, well, you know, I'm 74 right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like a reflect, I'm just reflecting on just this identity of the body with the age of it. I mean, it's worthwhile contemplating, not to, to say there's anything wrong with being vain or not wanting to get old, but now our relationship to that is, a, is the observer, the knower, the puto, rather than always uh, shackling ourselves to, uh, to uh, this idea of I am an old person, or I don't want to get old, or I want to... I don't want people to think I'm as old as I am. So it's, uh, and, and this, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of these thoughts either, but they are thoughts that we can begin to see in terms of what they are. There, if, if I feel, you know, uh, very strongly uh, about not, not wanting to get old, it's like this. But I don't. I don't have that. I, mean, I like getting old. It can't can't get old quick enough, actually. <clears throat> I really do. I like being old. There is. <laughs> it's not. In fact, I always kind of maybe exaggerate my age. But the society we live in is devoted to youthfulness, isn't it? It's a very vain, materialistic culture that that we've developed here in Europe, in the Western world, uh, where where how we look is so important in our, you know, to stay young and youthful, and and the youthful values are all the ones that are exalted in old age is is, you know, it's all right, but it's not, not really very nice.
So that's why I encourage you in this practice of mindfulness in order to... Now this, this practice will carry you through the, the whole range of your conscious existence in the body that you're, you're, you're in. You know, it's not a matter, <laughs> it's not a matter of, of uh, a peak moment of monastic life or something, you know, where you, uh, and then, you know, you, or like in a, in a professional world, isn't it? You, you, maybe you spend your youth studying the law or medicine or something, then you kind of find, uh, you know, work in your profession and then you achieve a level of success maybe in, fame and appreciation or maybe not, but then by 65 you've retired out in the pasture uh, playing golf like they do around here (laughs) and uh, watching television and the rest of your life doesn't have much meaning or purpose or importance. It's just like sitting around uh, a television set kind of in a stupor. So, uh, but meditation, this is really, you know, emphasize the the value of this, uh, the cumulative value, because you, as you do get old, it, and you do have more insight and more understanding, then the end of your life is is very important to understand. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it isn't about being successful at, at 40 and then after 65 you're retired and out pasture. It's about, you know, the continuous reminding oneself of it's awareness, Pachubhanatama, or these words, I use Pachubhanatama. Eckhart Tolle said, the power of now. That's a very good title, power of now. The here and now, be here and now. You hear this over and over, uh, you know, in various ways. Because now is uh, what we're experiencing. It's not about now in the future or now of the past. Is it? It's it's what we're actually experiencing this very moment is now. And yet we couldn't be living in the past or planning for the future. So, you know, and as you observe how your mind works, I, my tendencies were always, uh, you know, to, to uh, you know, plan for the future, the next thing, the next event, the next this, the next that. I was what you call a quid nunc. It's Latin for what's next. So you had, you know, you always, you got, you... You, you, you got what you were aiming to get and then the immediate reaction was, what's next? Quid nunc. So I have a quid nunc tendency. What's next? And so this, then observing this, you know, seeing it's not saying that, not judging it, but observing this, this, this a habit, uh, a, habit I acquired probably at a young age. The society I'm from is very much like that. Prepares us for what's next, to live for the future. And then the past. We, you know, how many of you suffer a lot about remorse or guilt or 
or about the past, your past, what you, things you've done or experienced of the past. Or resentful, feel resentful and angry about uh, unfairness uh, of the past. One can feel very indignant, very angry about things that happened many years ago. And then, uh, then we can feel guilty about things we've done. Things we shouldn't have done, which we, had, which we hadn't done. We wish maybe we hadn't done them because now we're stuck with the memories and the guilt that comes from it. So like exploring the guilt, and I found this very uh, important, I think, in the Western world because it seems to be a strong tendency amongst us to, to feel guilty and, uh, and uh, you know, so then reflecting on it, is it, you know, is there, what is this feeling of guilt, of not, of making mistakes or doing something wrong or saying something we shouldn't have or <clears throat> not being as good as we think we should be or being rude or doing wicked things, robbing banks, killing people. doing dreadful, terrible things. Or most of us haven't done anything that severe, but we still feel guilty because of mistakes we've made, things we shouldn't have said, uh, and on and on like that. So that, what is that anyway, in the here and now? This feeling of guilt. Well then reflecting on it, rather than trying to analyze why I feel guilty as a person, you know, is it because of my parentage? Is it my mother's fault? My father's fault? Was it? Is it Christian? I was brought up as a Christian. Is it Christianity's fault? Whose fault is it? And if I'd had been brought up by in a perfect society, I wouldn't be suffering from guilt, neurotic guilt. That's the ideal. But this is, you know, this is for your own investigation to. Not to to try to annihilate or or analyze it, but recognize it. It's like this: What is the feeling of guilt about something that you feel guilty about when you remember something of the past? It's a memory, isn't it? You remember you have memories of the past, and so you have a. Oh, I wish I'd never done that. <laughs> we all have skeletons in the closet and things like this in our lives. And so, in the present moment, then the guilt arises through attachment to a memory and to this sense of a self. The memory is, I... I am, it's my uh, karma, it's my fate, I shouldn't have, I, whose fault is it? That, that kind of thing is all about sanya, sankara, in the five khandhas. Now there is uh, what in, in Buddha Dhamma, Hiri Otapa, which is, uh, uh, 
is not guilt. Hiriotapa isn't can't be de, uh, defined as guilt. But it's a wholesome quality, like having a conscience, knowing, a sense of knowing when you've said something you shouldn't have at the moment, here and now. So I say something I shouldn't have said here and now. And then there's a hiriotapa, a sense of knowing, a, a con- maybe we call it conscience. And when you begin to see, you know, that that is a very good thing, a healthy thing, that it's not about you know, holding on to all, you know, you could carry that on for, you know, the rest of your life. If you said something you shouldn't have, or told a lie, or or insulted somebody brutally in the present, and then you could hate yourself, feel guilty, remorseful, on and on for the rest of your life. Or, putting that in the context of Pachubanatamma, so like Samawaja is, is, uh, what is Samawaja? <laughs> you know, defined generally as not telling lies and using speech, uh, uh, skillfully. But speech, uh, is one of the most difficult, uh, it's a strong habit to, things just come out before you have time to edit them sometimes. <laughs> so I mean this is uh, just the way it is you know that, but then guilt and remorse Hiriotapa is is a good thing if we, you know if maybe what they call psychopaths they, I, I, they probably lack Hiriotapa you know so you don't have any sense of shame or have no conscience so you can kill somebody and maybe even enjoy it because I hear, I've heard that murdering somebody is quite exciting. It's certainly, you know, why in movies do we, do they have so many, so much murder and killing? Because it is exciting. Blood and gore and, and fighting and war and all that. It excites the mind. And there's nothing wrong with that, but this is noticing that's the way it is. And then Hiriotapa the is this, doing the right thing, like dec- decorum, being able to, decorum, being able to, to, you know, do the right, make the right gestures. And, uh, you know, and, and learn from, from experience, learn from mistakes or that, rather than, clinging to a sense of yourself which is always will create guilt fear anxiety about the future what will i have to, what price will i have to pay when i die for what i've done in the past what kind of punishment should i expect from the things the bad things i've done in the past what is that in, in, you know, that in the present, that kind of fear about death and what to, what because of, of uh, unwholesome, unskillful actions in the past, what, how will I have to be punished or how will I have to pay for this? Is a, is a still a sakyaditi, isn't it? I mean, putting it in terms of 
the terms we use, like sakyaditi, the self-view, the past, the, the, the foolish things I've done in the past, I have to be punished for, or I should be, or I will be. And if I don't get punished in this life, maybe the next one, after death, then I'll go to hell, maybe, to a terrible, fearful realm of for punishment, for being punished for things I've done in the past. Now this is just pointing to what Sakya Diti is. It's, it's a, this is a sense of yourself as identified two conditions. The physical body, memories, thoughts, ideas, uh, emotions, to the sense realm, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting, thinking, being attached to thinking, and on and on like this, is to create this sense of a separate self. That we live, we live with this, this is ignorance of vicha, not understanding dhamma, then we, we live in a world we create. <clears throat> the sense of me and mine, myself, my views, my feelings, my body, my age. It goes on and on endlessly into a perpetual bloki of guilt, remorse, criticisms, because that is the way the conditioned realm is. One thought goes on to the next. The thinking process being attached to thinking, to views and opinions, to concepts, to memories. These are all conditioned phenomena. So that's why the here and now is the, is this reminder. Puto, this, uh, Buddha's name. Now this is, this is how I, I use it. Puto, always, and as you, cultivate that, just that one word, it, you know, it begins to be a continuous reminder. So you get caught up into guilty feelings or resentments or whatever, and then the word puto will suddenly come up in your mind. At least in my mind. (laughs) Now that is, uh, that's because I've developed, I've cultivated. If I'm going to remember something, why not remember things that are useful, skillful, rather than just dwelling on in a guilty way about uh, things I shouldn't have done in the past. It's not suppressing, it's not like a, trying to get rid of guilt as, as a, out of fear or aversion to it as a person. It's recognizing the, the suffering that we are bound into when we're caught in it, when we're blinded by guilt and, and this sense of I shouldn't have and I should be punished. And then puto, and then remind you, it's a skillful means, expedient means for reminding. So this you can take wherever you are. You know, it's not just on a retreat or special situation. 
you know, it's, it's a puto, it's something to, you know, it's like something to to wear around your neck, like a medallion. <laughs> to to, uh, to have it as a condition, but, but not just as a kind of meaningless, nonsense syllable, but it's a reminder for what? For trusting that awakened here and now is this. And so then, in terms of strong emotions, you, if you're you know, in a state of, of strong emotion, uh, then this puto isn't trying to suppress emotion, but it's a way of reminding yourself to be observant. It's like this, feeling angry, indignant, uh, obsessed with guilt, self-aversion, and it's like this. And then this this uh, way of listening to it, of observing, because uh, even when, you know, the thinking process, you can, with, uh, you know, not thinking, but then there's always this remaining energy around emotions. So this is where you need to, to know the difference between suppressing something out of aversion, fear and aversion, and just letting go of something because you you know there's no point in holding on to it and, and or to reject it is to still a still a form of clinging like suppressing emotions and rejecting and denying is a, is a form of clinging to them because you're not letting the emotion go just by rejecting it you're actually reinforcing the tendency You know, so just trying to to uh, repress negative emotions out of aversion is is uh, vipavadana, one of the causes of suffering. Well, in letting go without it being vipavadana, this is this you have to know for yourself. Letting go isn't getting rid of; it's letting things be what they are. And to be this puto in the present, so you're 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 really being puto rather than trying to become somebody who's mindful. So that that is about as direct as it's possible to be, isn't it? It's being puto rather than somebody who's trying to become mindful or become enlightened. Resentment is another thing, you know, what, what is resentment? And then, you know, then, then, uh, you know, it's, you know, in terms of the here and now, I can bring up, I can remember, I can bring up memories in the present moment which will cause me resentment. The feeling of resentment will arise through remembering things uh, done to me in the past that were unfair, unkind. I can still do that after 43 years of monastic life. I can make myself feel resentment just like that by remembering the past unfairnesses, injustices, 
insults to me, to me as a person, to to me as a physical being. And then uh, that that resentment is, you know, it's based on it, you get. I mean, they become very righteous. They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. I'll never forgive them. All these kind of thoughts will come up in my mind when I remember that. But the uh, training yourself in this way of Bhutto is to observe that. That resentment is uh, the attachment to a memory, to an idea of things should be a certain way and they're not, or I should be treated in a way that I, I'm not unfairly with injustice, lack of sensitivity. I've been abused and misunderstood and so forth. And it's not denying these, but, and it's not saying there's anything wrong with it, but in this awakened Bhutto here and now Dhamma, it's to see that the causes of suffering to recognize them, the attachment to resent, resentment is attachment to some memory. So, just to to uh, become an expert on memory, what is the memory? Sanya Kanda, and uh, they translate it as perception in English. But for me, when because I. I had my meditation experience in Thailand where I learned to meditate and uh, as I learned the Thai language because that's what I heard, I heard the Thai language. So then, you know, they use the entire school, Jot Jam, which is translates in English as memory. And suddenly that made sense. You know, Sanya, perception, Sun didn't have quite the same immediate significance to me as as memory, quam jodam. It's like this is you know the memory is uh, you know I have a very good memory in fact, and so I can remember all kinds of things from an early age, uh, good things, bad things, and it's a part of one's karma, isn't it? We we have these retentive memories. So we remember uh, what happens. Uh, some people have stronger memories than others. Uh, but um, whatever it is, you know, this being resentful, angry about the injustices, the unfairness of the past is like this. To me, and uh, it shouldn't have been and who's to blame? So the proliferating uh, thought connections come from that. And so in encouraging you to observe, be the knower of memory, both in its positive and negative aspects. Like using memory, then in, in uh, monastic life, what are these uh, samana sanya? practices we have. 
It's using memory in a skillful way, like puto tamo sanko, nor putang sernangachami, namang sernangachami, sankang sernangachami, the Pali words. Remembering them is like a reminder. It's not, it's not a, Pali isn't a language that I, I connect with the sakyaditi. You know, it's not my native tongue. It's a, it's a classical language not used anymore in, in common society. But it's a, you know, it's a, what they call a dead language. But it uh, also is a, one can use it skillfully because it, Pali to me doesn't, doesn't bring up a lot of personal feelings, you know, or memories. But sometimes over the years, you know, you'll find like memorizing these Pali chants, the morning pujas, evening pujas, and that in Pali, even if it's rote memory, even if it's just like, you know, like a parrot uh, reciting nonsense syllables or whatever, at first, it's, it will, as you memorize something, over the years, eventually, if, you, if you're mindful and, and want to use these in a skillful way, it, they become uh, very helpful as guides. They, they appear, suddenly, like getting caught in strong emotion and suddenly puto will spring forth. Or in, uh, I think of Buddha. At first, I remember when I first went to live in Thailand, you know, I liked, I always liked Buddhism and attracted to it, uh, to, you know, I've never had a thing against Buddha images. I've not been one of those, some people, Western people interested in Buddhism don't like images and, and icons and that. They, uh, they don't mean anything to them. But um, I aesthetically, I've always appreciated Buddha images. And then the, then the words Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha were, you know, added to my English vocabulary. And, uh, and the, but then over the years, uh, these terms have, you know, have been, through the skillfulness, of using these words for remembering, for awareness, for mindfulness, for reflection. So contemplating just Bhutang Sarnangachami, you know, I could chant it like a parrot and, you know, just say Bhutang Sarnangachami automatically without even, you know, it becomes a habit. One can just be perfunctory and it comes out because that's what everybody else is saying. Or to investigate what is taking refuge in Buddha in the present. And what is Buddha in the present? Is it, you know, we can project it as some kind of abstract force in the universe, a kind of Buddha energy throughout the universe, but that's still thinking, isn't it? It's still uh, projecting ideas that we have about Buddha nature or Buddha energy in the universe, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, 
but it's still the thinking process. This is like internalizing Buddha, so it Bhutangsarangachami is another reminder. Awareness here and now, awakened consciousness. So each one of us as human individuals have this potential, awakened consciousness. We're 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 human we have a human form, we have a reflective ability to uh to awaken in the present. We're not just helpless victims of the conditioning process. We're not just kind of lost souls in a in, in a morass of of unfortunate memories or whatever, negative thoughts or fears. Even though on one level it might seem like that sometimes. This way of remembering Bhutang Sarnangachami is using just these three words as a reminder. It's thinking but with a pointing rather than defining or judging. It's not judging Bhutang Sarnangachami. It's not clinging to it as I've got to believe in Buddha as some kind of, you know, imperative, religious imperative that we have. It's in what, what I call internalizing it. So Buddha, Bhutto, Bhutang Sarnangachami, then it's like a skillful means. It's like when I give the precepts, like this evening, the eight precepts, and chant Bhutang Sarnangachami. I've always trained myself to do that in the, with the sound of silence. So that, you know, when I get, when I, I, because at first I used to just chant it like a ceremonial formula. You know, and so I would, you know, the, you know, the procedure is you ask for the precepts and then I, I lead you, samutasa, and then Bhutang Sirnangachami is like, a formal procedure that that I've memorized, or how to use even myself giving you the, the three refuges and the precepts. So I'm not just some kind of ceremonial priest giving you precepts, but actually I'm you know reminding myself of the refuge in Buddha is here and now. Bhutang Sarnangachami is not just for you, you know like. I'm saying you've got to take refuge in the Buddha. <laughs> but it's, it's also because I've been asked to give these and it it is also a reminder. So with the what I you know, my talks and use of sound of silence, it puts the mind into an empty state. So then Bhutang Sarnangachami is aligned with sound of silence or this empty awareness. Well, it's the way I've trained the mind. You know, so it's using the position I'm in, the duties that I have for awareness. You know, so when, you know, I'm not, you know, don't want to become a ceremonial priest or a witch doctor or a psychiatrist or anything like this. It's like we're all in this together. So that Bhutang Sarnangachami, if I'm just, you know, getting lost in my own problems, well, I'm saying Bhutang Sarnangachami out of habit, 
I don't think it has the same power as Bhutang Saranangachami when it's coming from emptiness, from awareness. Now that's just how, what I've discovered. I don't, you've got to find out for yourself what, how it affects you. How to use these, these, uh, words, these teachings, Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, uh, Paticca Samupada, the dependent of all these things are, they can, we can chant, um, Avicca Bajaya Sankara Sankara Bajaya Vinyanang Vinyanang Bajaya Nama Rupang and on and on like that, like a parrot. Or it can be just a very nice chant in, you know, kind of melodious, uh, tranquilizing chant, uh, uh, you know, if chanted by good uh, chanters, which we are not. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, it's a beautiful in its own right, there's a sound. But then, you know, Avicca Bhajaya Sankara, I used to contemplate. Avicca is the, is the reason for Sankara, or condition, or phenomena. So like, what is Sankara now? Like if there's a vicha, if I'm heedless, caught in my sakya ditti, silabhattabharamasa vichikita, then the sankara might be the, my own feeling of guilt or, or regret or resentment or planning the future or whatever is going on, uh, you know, in the conditioned realm of my emotions and thoughts and memories in the present. A vicha and then sankara affects consciousness. You know, vinyana. Avicca bhajaya sankara sankara bhajaya vinyanang. Vinyanang's consciousness. So if we're always coming from avicca or not knowing dhamma, not having insight, not having that kind of real insight into truth, then, then we're always coming from avicca. And avicca will always be the cause of suffering. Because uh, it ends with sokaparitewa tukatomanasu payasa. And you know, as you follow the uh, dependent origination, avicca is the cause of suffering. As long as there's avicca, not being mindful, not understanding dhamma, not knowing dhamma, not being puto, then, then the result of that is going to be dukkha. Well, I mean, this is, if you trace that sequence of Paticca Samupada, uh, then you, you can, you begin to use it in a skillful way. It, it goes into something like vinyana, namarupa, salayatana, so, vinyana, and then namarupa become, you know, uh, mind and body, and then, uh, six, the six senses, and then the feeling, attachment, and, and desire, and then attachment to desire will lead to, um, becoming, and then the rest takes you on to dukkha, old age, sickness, death. So if I'm attached to the body as mine, me, this is me, 
I am this old body, 75 years old, pretty near, still 74. <laughs> then then uh, my birthday on Monday will, could be a trauma for me. Because if I'm clinging to being 74, 75, I could suffer from that. Because of what? Avicca is the cause, is the condition, is the panchaya for the, that influences like sankara comes from, sankara comes from avicca, affects consciousness and the rest breaks down into, uh, you know, the, the whole state of misery, unhappiness, grief, sorrow, despair and anguish, guilt, remorse. But then you've got the other, you've got uh, Niroda, which is the end of suffering. So when there's Vicha, then there is, that's the end of suffering. Vicha is the Pali word for knowing, knowledge, wisdom. So then you've got Vicha, and so then this whole thing collapses. The whole Paticca Samubhara and, and it's, uh, what is it, Bhattiloma or Anuloma? Well, one is, is the second noble truth and the other half is the third noble truth about cessation, Niroda. Well, Niroda is, the, is about cessation, not of, it's not an annihilation. And it sounds, sometimes people grasp Theravada Buddhism in the wrong way and think of it as a, uh, we're teaching a form of annihilation. Not about getting rid of or destroying or denying, but it's seeing things, seeing the causes of suffering and being able to let go. We don't have to. We're not helpless victims of suffering if we recognize the causes because then our Real refuge is in Bhutto rather than in Avita or the Sakayaditi. So these are, I find these words very, uh, that's why I like my Pali Buddhism because, because I've used it for so long. It's like a, you know, something I'm, I've, I've used for practice over many years and and if I, how to use it skillfully rather than just as some kind of perfunctory ceremonial approach or being attached to or trying to fit everything into my views about what the Buddha really taught. Because you can find in Theravada really opinionated characters who, you know, the Buddha taught like this and the Buddha taught like that, didn't teach this, teach, and the strong views uh, that people form out of studying scriptures. You know, then they, they don't see what they're doing. They study it. They study uh, the, the Pali scriptures and then form views and opinions. And so it's kind of missed the point. So there's Bariati, Bati, 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 Waiti. Bariati is the study or the memorizing or the knowing of the, of the teaching and then applying it to Pachubhanatama. That's Bati Bata or, you know, so it, you're actually using it in the present. So like Puto, just that one word, word Buddha, 
is bariati in itself. It's something you, you acquire from a book or a teacher gives it to you. It's a traditional form. It's a word, it's a memory. Then, batibata, <clears throat> so they say, just buto then is bariati dhamma, then batibata. Practice. So you take that word and apply it to the present. Not as some kind of grasping views about Buddha in outer space or anything, but it's, it's like, it's awakened consciousness. What is that for you at this moment? Awakened consciousness. Now. And so you're reflecting, you're kind of pointing, you're kind of keep reminding yourself now rather than if I practice hard now I'll get something I'll be rewarded in the future and so the buto now is batibata then as you as you practice with that buto then it becomes batiwaiti which is the result you know buto is this you know it's not it's not just a a strange word that you get from a book. It's not just a kind of meditation practice that you cling to because you hope to get something from it. You're actually, you know, realizing, recognizing the result. So, puto in itself, you can let go of it. Or it's a skillful means to help because of our bipaka kama which arises till we die, till our bodies die. The vipaka karma of our life, the resultant karma uh, of the here and now is like this. Puto knows the Dhamma. So this word Buddha and Dhamma, they're, they're interconnected. It's Buddha knows Dhamma. Ajahn Sumedho doesn't know Dhamma. It's not me, I'm an expert on Dhamma. It's Ajahn Sumedho or anything like that. It's Puto knows Dhamma. I might know about Dhamma on a personal level, having studied and things like this, but this is much more direct than that. It's not not about me being an expert on Buddhism or a Pali scholar or anything like that. It's about being this Bhutto, knowing the way it is, the awakening to the real. So, you know, this is... Uh, evening's reflection is an encouragement to to how to use a, use the these uh, tools that we have they're very you know I really have an enormous respect for them uh, because it is, to me it's a very skillful uh, accurate tool that the Buddha is, is basic teaching you know the first sermon is like a precision tool if you, it can be Misused, you know, but it, uh, or just disregarded. But it is, you know, and from my own use of it and results is that I see it is, it really gets to the source, the causes, the, and to, to, uh, trust in this Bhutto, in this awakened Sati Sampatanya here and now, recognizing it. And then being able to develop it in life, to be able to 
to cultivate this way through the daily life we, that I live as a Buddhist monk. So that, like the um, this Martha, is just encouraging. He's got quiet periods and so forth. Uh, all these theas, uh, you know, great gifts, opportunities, because it does take a, a kind of determined effort. You know, kind of really uh, keep going at it uh, and not let the world and all its problems um, be so important or take you over or delude you. You know, and then the the reflection of the world is like this. It's sometimes nice, sometimes horrible, good, bad, fair, unjust, beautiful, ugly, boring, confusing, we, we, and we experience all these emotions because of the sensitive state we're in and this realm that we're living in. And so the only way that we can be free from suffering is not by getting rid of the world, but by knowing it. And that's through this Pachubana here and now awareness. So I offer this for your reflections.